They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. That was me messing around with a pencil. Yes. Drawing on my little table thing here. Yep. We're uh, our last recording in person, I think, for a while, probably. What's today? The 27th? Yes. So there's three days left in the year. Yeah. And what a year it's been. Three or four. Oh, shut up. What a year it's been. Yeah, anyway. What a year it's been, Nathan. How was your Christmas? I had a really nice Christmas. I got a couple movies that I like. I got a book. I got two posters. Well, I got a picture sort of thing and a poster. So, yeah, it was a very good Christmas. Ellie, how was your Christmas? Uh, well, I'm more interested in sharing what I gave. Uh, I gave a lot of good stuff that made me feel very happy to see uh, to see the people I love get some joy from uh, physical manifestations of my affections to them. That's, you know, I understand you're a bit more consumerist than me, a bit more materialistic, but, you know, whatever. It's different. Elliot, what did, you think, what did you think of what I got you for Christmas? Nathan got me a strainer, a pizza cutter, a spatula, and a Jurassic Park Christmas ornament. Because, uh, obviously, next year, or this summer, I'm going to be moving out. Uh, I'm going to graduate this year, going to move out start my life. Well, I'm going to go to grad school. So I'll be moving on to a new phase. And of course, I'm going to need a bunch of some implements. Yes, I need implements. Yeah, it was fine. Whatever. (laughs) It's very thoughtful. You're welcome. Yeah. And I also I also got Lawrence of Arabia, which is a great movie. Yes. Yep, and speaking of movies, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. This is our... We also hope that all of you folks out there had a great Christmas. I already wished them a good Christmas in the last episode. Yeah, but now it's afterwards, and we hope that that wish came true, don't okay. we? Okay, sure. Yeah, anyway, to move this along, uh, we're going to do... It's our 30th episode, and we've been doing a special episode every 10 episodes, so this episode's going to be... A year-end recap. We're going to talk about not just some of our favorite movies, but also some of our least favorite movies, some of our favorite pieces of other media, books, video games, shows. Stories. We're going to talk about our favorite and least favorite stories. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about quite a few things. This is probably going to be a bulky episode, so if you've got to chop it in half a bit to maybe get through... Very understandable. You've got a whole break if you're in school. If you're not in school and you're in the real world, you don't get a break ever. (laughs) People listen to podcasts on car rides, apparently. I would find that very distracting. But if that's your thing, you know, pop this on when you're traveling from Indianola to Alaska and you'll probably have a bit left to do once you get there. But, you know, it should last you the trip. 
So uh, let's get into it. Let's start. Let's start going through these movies. We're gonna start with our least favorite movies that we saw this year. We saw, actually, I think I did not see as many movies from this year. This year, as I think I normally do, I. Yeah, I just did. I didn't end up going to some movies that I thought I would, and there's still a couple that I want to see, and I'm hopefully going to see them this next month. But there were a couple duds that we saw. Elliot, why don't you start with uh, one of your least... We're going to share three of our least favorite movies that we saw this year. So, Elliot, why don't you start us off? I'm going to begin, as we mean to go on here, with a real stinker. I mean, like, these are bad, bad movies. I'm going to start with <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion. Don't feel like we need to expand on anything we've already said about Jurassic World Dominion. It's a deeply stupid movie. Um, the DNA of the original masterpiece has all but been completely obliterated from the bloodline uh, because of, well, I was, I don't know. I, I'm abandoning this metaphor before it even begins. Yeah, it's nothing like the original. It's nothing even like Jurassic World, quite frankly. Really stupid, overlong, terrible characters, awful plot. <sighs> the dinosaurs have just become stormtroopers, essentially. Like, that's how much, that's about as much awe and terror that they inspire in me at this point. It's basically, they're just stormtroopers. And yeah, it was really, wasn't necessarily disappointing, but I do. I love Jurassic Park. This franchise does have a bit of a special place in my heart. None of the movies have ever been as good as the original, but I still do have some time for Jurassic Parks 2 and 3, even though I do admit that they are definitely bad. And I didn't hate Jurassic World, but yeah, Fallen Kingdom and Dominion, they really, they really, they were... I agree. Obviously, you could have, you could hear our thoughts on that on the episode that we did on it. Um, I'm gonna go a bit different. I, Elliot, you didn't see any of the Marvel movies this year. You're one year sober of Marvel, <laughs> as you say. I did. I did go to all the Marvel movies that came out this year. So I had to put one of them on because none of them were great. But Thor: Love and Thunder was especially bad. It was. I think the worst thing about it is it's not funny. It is a aggressively unfunny film. When I saw it, I saw it in a fairly crowded theater and people laughed at one joke out loud. I think there were snickers at other times, but it's just awful. If you want to see someone run a joke into the ground fast, an already unfunny joke into the ground faster than you can maybe imagine possible, maybe go see this movie. There's really not a lot of redeeming qualities about it. There's one neat fight sequence. But besides that, it is aggressively poorly made. There's a lot of shoddy CGI. The writing is terrible. The jokes are not funny. None of the actors really feel like they're trying very hard, especially uh, who plays Valkyrie. Gosh. Tessa Thompson? Yeah, Tessa Thompson. See, really seems like she was like, all right, time for a paycheck. Here we go. And yeah, it uh, is just really terrible. So Marvel made a lot of poor quality entertainment this year. And I think Thor Love and Thunder was, for my money, the most egregious example of that. I've heard that Christian Bale is okay. 
He's okay, but uh, he's he's given less than nothing to work with. He's just playing your standard Marvel villain. Yeah. That's too bad. Uh, I mean, it's too bad for people who are into that kind of thing. Great. Okay, so I'm going to move on to controversial pick in Lightyear. Uh, this is the Buzz Lightyear, not origin story. It's the movie that the it's the in universe movie that the Buzz Lightyear toy is based on within the meta narrative of Toy Story. Yeah. Um, and man, I really disliked it. I thought that the characters were exceptionally annoying. Buzz had no real charisma. He was just kind of a dummy and he didn't really do anything all that impressive. I really disliked his squad that he accumulates, you know, the old woman and the young woman and the youngish man. I can't remember their names or anything about their personalities because they were so forgettable and bland. But Definitely my least favorite part of this movie is just how contrived it all is. Like, there's zero thought put into the story. I'm looking right at Nathan as if for reasons that we will find out later. Um, I think the perfect example of this is he Buzz gets captured by Zerg, and I guess I won't spoil it. Zerg has... Zerg has an ally that is known to Buzz. And the ally... The way that Buzz gets free is the ally just just decides to free him. No real reason for it. He's just like, eh, yeah, 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 decides. And then the ally dies. And so, yeah, the, the writers had... It's so painfully obvious. The writers wrote themselves into a corner and they were like, oh, man, this is bad. Can't think of anything. He's got to get out somehow. Uh, uh, deadline. Uh, 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 uh. Ally. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. Very bad. Very disappointing. Okay, well, you um, you will get my thoughts on Lightyear later in the episode, but that's uh, an interesting pick. Uh, for my second pick, we're going to stick with superhero movies for me, and I'm sure everyone knows this movie is famously bad. It feels wrong to even put it here, because the other two movies were at least made by artists with some aspect of, we're trying to make something good. Uh, Morbius. I did see Morbius. <laughs> And it was horrendous. I, it was one of, it was maybe the most fun I had in a theater all year. I saw it with a large group of friends. And so there was one moment in particular where uh, a half-baked mentor character dies and we were all laughing. We were making fun of it, but we were making fun of it because it was terrible. It was, it should have never been put out. They should have filmed it and then looked at it and said, look, there's no way we can salvage this. We're not doing it. It's poorly written. Uh, my personal favorite terrible line, to bats it's deadly, to humans it's lethal, which means the same thing, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> really dumb. Jared Leto is a bad human being from my understanding of his him outside of the film. He's bad in the movie. I'm sure some of you have seen the clips of the guy dancing. That's a bizarre scene from Morbius. And yeah, it's just terrible, terribly made. Uh, Michael Keaton is forced to be in the last scene, and it's terrible. 
fight scenes are terrible. You would get a more interesting visual experience if you just took a black sheet of paper and a purple sheet of paper and waved it in front of your eyes. It's a similar experience to watching the fight scenes in this movie. And yeah, it was just, it was laughably black, bad. Like everyone knew it would be, but uh, I'm here to confirm it was not good. <laughs> yep, I can't speak to that. I haven't seen it. So we're just going to move right along. And <laughs> I have saved the worst for last, in my opinion. I've got Halloween Ends. So I, I've i seen the original Halloween by John Carpenter. Like it quite a bit. And then... I saw the reboot that they did in 2016? 17, maybe? Somewhere around there. And I really liked it a lot. And so then I, I went to see Halloween Kills with my father, and it was truly, truly awful. It was one of the stupidest movies I think I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and Dad, my our father... He insists on finishing everything, even if he hates it. Like, he would finish... If he was getting waterboarded and he gave up his information before their time was up, he was like, can we uh, just wrap this up, actually, but so I can see how it ends? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how dedicated Dad is to finishing things. And so I, I went with him because, I guess... I felt kind of responsible for <laughs> making him see the second one. Although he would have seen it anyway, I guess, if yeah. he had seen the first one. It doesn't matter. And yeah, it was even worse than Halloween Kills. Um, there was absolutely zero thought put into it. Uh, the themes are so muddled and nonsensical. It revolves around a central character, a central character's descent into murderous madness that I don't buy even one bit. Like, it's supposedly one of those things where somebody gets pushed over the edge. But I don't think you can get pushed over the edge this quickly unless you were already a sociopath. I mean, he just goes straight to murdering. It's ridiculous. Uh, Michael Myers is, like, barely in it. And at this point, he's, he's just nothing. Like, he's just a dude who kills people. There's nothing intimidating or interesting about him. The things that he is capable of surviving, he's like a slow-moving Terminator. And he's, <laughs> in this movie, he's supposedly like 60-plus years old, so the amount of abuse that he has endured and yet is still able to obliterate people, you know, half his age, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's... I'm just thinking about it. It's just making me tired. It's not making me angry or sad. I'm just really tired. Yeah, I I bow down of the uh, when the first trailer for Halloween Kills came out. I told you this looks awful. I'm not gonna see it. And then I think I called Dad after you guys had seen it, and he was like, "Yeah, that was horrendous. That was so terrible." And then, yeah, I knew the third one was going to be awful. So I bowed out after the first. And it sounds like I made the right call. Yeah, it's also about as tense as an episode of Teletubbies. About as tense and about as scary. And maybe, like, half as gory as your average Teletubbies <laughs> episode. Interesting. Oh, 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 funny. Yeah. 
All right. So my last my last pick for the worst movie of the year, and this one's probably the most controversial pick in terms of general audience. But I'm gonna put Avatar two. I was not a fan of Avatar one. I never saw it in theaters. I will say that I saw it on a projector though. I saw it in a classroom for a thing. But I I didn't enjoy Avatar one. I thought it was overly long and very boring and I thought this sequel was even more long and boring. I don't care about this silly planet. I don't care about these silly characters. The writing is horrible. They say bro way too many times. Like the first time they say bro, I instantly clocked. I was like they just said bro twice in the same sentence. If this continues in this whole movie, I will want to die by the end of it. And it did. If they're not saying bro, they're saying cuz. Yeah, they say bro. Bro cuz. Yeah, they say bro and cuz a lot, which is annoying and stupid. No one talks like that. And yeah, it's just really, it's really boring. It's essentially the same plot as the first one, but the final fight is worse than the first one because I think the climax of the first one is actually very cool. But the final fight of this movie was just really dull and boring and... In general, yeah, the movie was just boring. It looks good, yeah, but I don't see why uh, you would want to put up with the story that you have to watch. It's just really boring. I was very bored. I don't know how how much I can overstate how boring I found this movie. I try very hard not to speak in movies, in theaters, that is, uh, because I think it's really annoying. Uh, people who clap in theaters. What's wrong with you? Just stop it. Nathan does not share my dedication to keeping a lid on it in theaters. Well, Although I'm, he doesn't clap. I'm not a jabber mouth. I'm not talking constantly. Well, I, you talk more than is appropriate. But I will admit that in this movie, somebody at some point when somebody's talking about, they're quoting like how people view The Way of Water. And of course, Way of Water is the movie's title. And he says... The way of water has no beginning and no end. And I just muttered clearly in the theater because I was very agitated. It really, and it also feels very much like if you ever saw like Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows part one or any of those part one movies that came out like 10 years ago, it feels like one of those that there's a lot of stuff in it that you're like, I'm sure this has a point to movies from now, but it has no point in this movie. And so it's just, it's very frustrating very, I don't want to say poorly made, but it's poorly written, poorly structured. I, it's just not for me. I can't imagine ever rewatching it unless I'm forced to by someone. All right, bro, let's move on, cuz. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah, so that's, uh, we had to do worst because we saw some rotters and we wanted to talk about them. But from this point on, we're just talking about stuff we enjoy. So it's going to get a lot more fun, a lot more enjoyable. So our first non-movie thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about our favorite video game that we played this year. Woo-hoo. Yep. So, Elliot, what was your favorite video game that you played? doesn't have to be from this year, but that you played this year for the first time. Yeah, I did not play a whole lot of video games for the first time this year. I did a lot of replaying stuff just because I'm a college student. I don't have a whole lot of money to be uh, spending on new games. But there was one game. Well, there were multiple games. But there was one game above all else that I was very, very excited for. A sequel. (laughs) 
<laughs> Why are you hyping? Long anticipated. <laughs> uh, God of War Ragnarok. Um, I absolutely adore God of War 2018. The only other, other God of War I've played is God of War 3, which is a fun game, but its story, I think, is very not great. Uh, it tries to make Kratos into, like, an actual hero, not even an anti-hero, like, just an actual hero, and he does not deserve that in that game. I have... It's, it annoys me. But, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I'm a sucker for uh, stories about grizzled, world-weary old men rediscovering their lost humanity thanks to going on a journey with an energetic, idealistic young ward. And that is that is God of War 2018 to a T. I'm just going to call it God of War from now on. Great game, really fun. Uh, I absolutely love Christopher Judge as Kratos. It's an incredible performance. Same with Sonny Suljic, I think, as Atreus. Nathan's making a face, he doesn't know. Their dynamic is really good. I was really, really excited for God of War Ragnarok because I loved the first one so much, and it didn't disappoint. I don't think it was as good as the first one, but that's a pretty high bar to clear. Um, it had... The combat was just as good. The story, like the narrative, I don't think was as compelling, but the character arcs and the relationships and dynamics, I think, were just as good. I love seeing Kratos be a good dad to Atreus. I love the hug moments between them. Uh, every time they spend time together, I'm I'm just so happy. Uh, Christopher Judge is bringing it just like last time. Same with Sonny S. Uh, and yeah, it, I really liked Odin in this game. Nathan, I know you haven't finished this game yet, but I think he's a really good, really well-written antagonist. It's really hard to make a a villain a manipulator without making it seem like without making it so subtle that you can't tell what's going on or so obvious that you think that the main character is being an idiot for being manipulated but i think they managed to find that with odin here and also the guy who plays him he's just really funny so and it's just a funny game in general. Like uh, Mermir, I love Mermir. He's such a great character, and I love I love him joking around with Kratos. And yeah, I <laughs> Kratos's monotone responses to things that everyone else is really uh, up in a tizzy about is is always fun. And uh, yeah, it's a really good game. It's yeah, and I also did really enjoy Elden Ring. I'm replaying it currently. Nathan's a little more sour on it. But, uh, yeah, I think that we don't have to get into it. But Elden Ring has some problems that put it below Ragnarok for me. Yeah. Yeah, like Elliot said, I haven't finished Ragnarok, so it might end up being my favorite game that I've played this year. I did play Elden Ring, and I, yeah, did not love it as much as other people. My favorite game that I played this year for the first time was I bought Dead Cells. I'm a sucker for indie games, and especially indie Souls-like rogue, roguelite, or whatever the term is, for uh -huh. when you die, you lose all your progress. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it's a really phenomenal game. It's just a ton of fun. I played it way more than I thought I would, and even though I'm incredibly bad at it, because it's horrifically difficult as you go on, uh, it's a ton of fun, and it's got a lot of... They keep 
doing free updates for it and adding a ton of stuff. They just announced another update for next year where they're going to add Castlevania things. So I think you're going to be able to fight Dracula. And so, yeah, it's just a really fun, dope game. And the soundtrack is super good as well. Have you listened to it casually? I have not as of yet, but maybe. I don't know. If sometime I'm studying and I don't want to listen to music with words, I might put on the Dead Cell soundtrack. Yeah. I have not played this game. I'm really bad at roguelikes. I'm actually pretty bad at video games in general. I don't think <laughs> I'm very good. Like, yeah, I play the From Software games and I really like them. And, you know, I, I beat them. But I don't think that's because I'm good. I think it's because I just, I figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've never been somebody who plays video games on like ultra hard mode unless I'm going for a platinum that I really want. I'm, I'm not really good at multiplayer games. I'm just not very good at games. And I really, I don't like roguelikes very much because the, I don't like not, I don't like feeling like I'm not making any progress. And if, when you combine that feeling with my atrocious lack of skills, then yeah, roguelikes are like, uh, they're, they're not good for me. <laughs> they're a bad mix. It's a bad mix. Yeah. Well, this is why our podcast isn't Magellan at the Magellan's at the video games. That would be Magellan's at the couch. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about video games. Let's move on to. We watched a lot of movies this year that weren't necessarily from this year. So before we get into our favorite movie that came out this year, we're gonna do our top three, our three favorite movies that we saw this year that did not come out this year. So, Elliot, since we keep trading off and I keep segueing, uh, you get to go first. Uh, what's one of your favorite movies that you saw this year? That's just that you saw this year, period. Mm, definitely Tragedy of Macbeth. Mm. And I debated about where to put Tragedy of Macbeth because it, I did see it in theaters this year, like in January. Um. But it did come out, it was released in 2021. So I decided, we're just going to go with the letter, the literal interpretation of this rule. I don't think that's going to be a problem for you, but yeah. So The Tragedy of Macbeth, directed by Joel Cohen, uh, as we know from the director's episode, one of my favorite directors, he's part of the team. But he and his brother have kind of gone their separate ways. And so he's, he's on his own now. And yeah, I really liked this. Denzel Washington is a fantastic actor and he absolutely kills it as Macbeth. Same with Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth. The Tragedy of Macbeth is probably my favorite Shakespeare. Uh, I haven't read a whole lot of his. I, I've read uh, The Merchant of Venice, Tragedy of Macbeth. What's it called? Like The Song of Midnight? Something about Midnight. Summer's Midnight? Midnight, Midnight? The Night of Midnight? Midsummer's Night? Could be. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but I really like the story of the tragedy of Macbeth. And I think that it's perfectly done here. I have seen some complaints that it's because it's so no frills. Like it's a very stripped back um, retelling of this story. I think that really works here. I think that it's just the no nonsense telling of a classic story of a Shakespearean fall from grace and it does, it does its job really well. I was, yeah, I was absolutely enthralled by this movie. I loved the dialogue and the acting. 
and legitimately cool, well-choreographed sword fights there at the very end. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw this movie. I also think it's very good. And I also love Macbeth, although that movie did not make my list. Uh, The first one that's on my list, and these are all three pretty pretentious films. So we're going to start with Vivre Sa Vie which is a French New Wave movie by Jean-Luc Godard. Rest in peace. He died this year. I actually watched this right after he died because I wanted to watch some more of his movies. Are you sure it's not pronounced Godard? I have no idea. I'm not French. So, Jean-Luc Godard. I mean, if it's French, it could be pronounced Jean-Luc Thorbaba. Yeah, good. Yeah, they, they drop a lot of consonants. Anyway, this is, I usually don't love French New Wave movies, and I guess to explain, French New Wave was just a new style of filmmaking that came from France that was very handheld and uh, quick edits were sort of what characterized Mm. this wave. And usually I feel like the technical elements of French New Wave movies override any meaningful story. And I think this is one of those movies that bucks that trend. This movie is... Every scene is so amazing. There's specifically a pan in this movie that ha- is one of the coolest things I've ever seen Did on film. Did they cook anything on it? Huh? Did they cook anything on it? A pan as in a the camera moving or moving to the side to show something. It's sick. Every scene in this movie, it feels like the cinematographer is just going crazy with new techniques and new ideas. And the story is really cool of this woman kind of trying to, uh, she ends a relationship at the beginning of the movie and then is kind of trying to figure things out as she goes through the film. And it goes poorly, as a lot of these French movies do. But it's really cool. It's really well done. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I just had a ton of fun. I love movies with really creative camera work and stuff. Because it just makes watching the movie that much more fun when you're like, oh, this is... I've I've seen two people talking in a diner before. I haven't seen it shot like this before. And so every scene in the movie had a new way of looking at a thing I've seen before. And it's from like the 60s. So it was really cool. That's stupid. <laughs> okay. I think you're going to say that after like all of my picks. I'm going to gush about the movie. It's, it was so good. And I'll get dumb, lame. Yeah, well. There's the old joke of, I would watch Director X uh, film a phone book. I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch Nolan film the phone book. No, I wouldn't either. Yeah, you would. If he filmed it really neat, I guess. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Whatever, whatever. What's yours, Elliot? Uh, My next one is Captain Phillips, which I actually just recently watched this month? Or last month. This month, then. No, it was last month, because it was while you guys were at Thanksgiving. Oh, this is a story about Captain Phillips. It's based on a true story. It's one of those true stories that I am actually old enough to remember. I remember seeing this on the news. A captain on a shipping liner gets kidnapped by Somalian pirates, I think, and then spends a few harrowing days in their care, uh, not care, quote unquote, until he gets rescued by the... the the American Navy. Uh, Really good. Tom Hanks does a fantastic job playing this character. The tension is 
perfectly crafted. It's one of the most tense movies I've seen in a long time. And I knew how this story was going to end. Like, down to... I remember seeing how they set up the snipers on the aircraft carrier or battleship. I can't remember. It was a battleship. They were following the pirate's little escape dinghy with a battleship. And I remember seeing on the news them talking about where they had set up the snipers so they could see the pirates through the windows to get the shots. Mm -hmm. So that's the level to which I understood what was going to happen. And it was still, I was still on the edge of my seat. Paul Greengrass, he's the director. He's one of the few directors who I think can put shaky cam to good use. Probably him and Catherine Bigelow, even though I do make fun of Catherine Bigelow for it. It's not always, but yeah, he does know how to make, how to use it when to put the viewer in the scene to make it feel like you're there. And you know, it just, because the human head obviously is not a stable, um, vantage point. It's always moving around as Nathan is demonstrating for us right now. (laughs) It may, it can make it feel more immersive or it can make it feel like you can't tell what the flip is going on. Yeah. But Paul Greengrass knows how to do it to make it more immersive. And yeah, great movie. Really good. I really liked it quite a bit. Although I, as is my want, I then looked up uh, how much it's hewed to the original story. And apparently there is some, uh, there has been some pushback from the, from Captain Phillips's other sailors about the level of heroism that he displayed in this movie, as opposed to the real story. So I don't, just want everyone to be aware of that. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Although from Elliot's glowing review, I might end up, I might end up watching it. Anywho, my next movie is *The Verdict* by Sidney Lumet, who directed *12 Angry Men* that we reviewed a while ago, and directed some other movies that I really enjoyed. And so I can't remember where I saw this movie that it caught my attention that I went down and rented it from uh, the library so I could watch it. But I'm really glad I did. It follows Paul Newman as a down-on-his-luck lawyer who is given a case that is pretty much a slam dunk for him to make a lot of money off of the commission. But in order to do so, he discovers he would have to let Uh, some powerful people in his city get away with something that he thinks they shouldn't be able to get away with. So he decides to do the right thing and take the trial to court. And I think it's a really, it's a story that I'm sure we've all, if we haven't seen it before, we've heard of it, we understand this idea of, you know, a lawyer who's typically just in it for himself, finally deciding, oh, I'm going to do something for the little people. And so I think about 30 minutes into the movie, I was like, okay, this is going to be fairly standard. But it wasn't. It gets, it's significantly darker than I think you would expect. And it really, it shows that it's a lot harder thing to do, doing the right thing, that is, than you might originally that he is very often confronted that he maybe didn't make the right decision, that he's not qualified for this, that he's not ready for this. And so it's a really interesting movie. Paul Newman is really fantastic. The cinematography is really amazing, but it's also very 
it's shot from a distance. So Paul Newman is not given many like close-ups or anything. So he has to do a lot of acting with his mannerisms and his body language. And he does a fantastic job. And it was a really amazing movie that I enjoyed a ton. That sounds stupid. Okay. I don't you you like Sidney Lumet. I do. I love Sidney Lumet. And that sounds basically like Serpico, but with a lawyer instead of a policeman. And mm. so it's on my list. I, I want to see that one. But I'll never give you credit for it. Okay. That's a little job. Anyway, so rounding it out for me, uh, I've got 22 Jump Street, which is very similar to Captain Phillips and Tragedy of Macbeth, I think. Similar in maturity and tone. No. Uh, it's a buddy cop comedy by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller to a directing team that I have a lot of respect for. And yeah, I've seen 21 and 22 Jump Street, the movies, and I really like them both. I don't typically go in for adult comedies, you know, rated R comedies, because I find them very stupid and juvenile. And there is, look, this is not highbrow stuff, but I do think it is more, it, it's, it's trying harder than most of these kinds of movies that I've seen. And I think it's hilarious. I think they're both really good and really funny. I think this one is probably funnier. I wish I could quote some of the funniest lines. <laughs> A lot of them have swearing, so I can't do that. But uh, yeah, it's a great movie and it's just, it's just a really fun time. I don't have a big, long dissertation about its themes or its production style. It's just a fun movie. I have also seen it. It is just very fun. Really clever, too. It does a lot of meta things where the story itself is like a critique of sequels and stuff. It's funny. It's not really a critique. It's just making fun. It's Yeah, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very winking at the audience in a lot of places. It is very good. All right, well, my last uh, my last one is The End of the Tour. This is stupid. You're going to feel bad about this. So I read Infinite Jest this year, which is a seminal novel that was released in 1999, I believe. It's a really huge book, really good. But its author, David Foster Wallace, uh, tragically passed away. In 2014, I think, 2000... in the 2000s, he died very young from suicide. And this movie is about a book that was written by a Rolling Stone journalist who basically spent the last week of David Foster Wallace's book tour for Infinite Jest interviewing him. And he wrote this book after Foster Wallace had died. And so the movie opens with him finding the... Uh, tape recorders that he had kept from the interviews and then him kind of reliving these moments and it's fantastic the biggest reason this movie works is jason siegel is genuinely incredible as david foster wallace who he just depicts with an incredible amount of clarity and he really brings to life such a an interesting person that he was a genius, he was a writer who just had so much creativity and knowledge, and he really brings to life what I think makes Infinite Jest and a lot of David Foster Wallace's books interesting, the 
awareness of something being wrong, but the lack of ability or um, strength to make it better. And so the movie is punishingly depressing, but it was, I think, easily the best movie I saw all year. And it was just incredibly moving. I was, I found it really incredible. And since then, I've read more of David Foster Wallace's stuff. And it, it was a big part of my year reading these books. And so this movie was really amazing. The old DFW. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read anything of David of DFW. But uh, and now that you've explained what this movie is, I don't think it's appropriate to make fun of it. So, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to stay quiet here because. Yep. All right. Well, that's our top three of this year. So now we're going to go to another medium. We're going to do. <laughs> we're going to do our favorite book that we read this year. So while I did finish Infinite Jest this year, I did not start it this year, so I'm not counting Infinite Jest. Mm. So that's not my favorite book. Like, what was your favorite book that you read this year? Um, I didn't read a whole lot this year uh, because, again, man, college just obliterates. <laughs> it's just a black hole of enjoyment, isn't it? Yeah, most of the books I read this year for were for college. But uh, beginning in the spring, I think, yeah, no, the, at the very beginning of summer, I started and then through the summer read the entire series of The Expanse, which is has been described as Game of Thrones in space. Um, don't let that put you off. It is on the violent side, but there's none of the like really messed up sexual content of Game of Thrones. It's a, it's your classic swashbuckling science fiction story of a ragtag group of heroes it moving through the mid, the midst of these really big galaxy well not galaxy solar system spanning governments and infrastructure it's on the more realistic side like the author put a lot more thought into what humans could feasibly be capable of doing so like it all takes place within well it mostly takes place within earth's solar system because they don't have the technology to make it to other stars without, you know, dying of old age before they mm -hmm. get there. But they can move around, I think, from Earth to, like, the edge of the solar system. It's like a three-month or so trip, uh, depending on how fast you're going. Um, there's a lot of really neat details, like, for example, their guns fire self-propelling bullets, so that when they're fired in zero G, it doesn't send them flying off in the other direction. Just a lot of really neat touches like that that make me feel more smarterer than I actually am for understanding why you would need that. Um, but yeah, it's a very grand kind of story, huge stakes, but the characters are really interesting. Uh, it's very funny at times. It's not too dark. It's not too uh, bleak. Yeah, it's it's been a long time since I've mainlined a series of books like that. So I really, really enjoyed it. I don't have a favorite book out of the series; it's just the Expanse series. I would recommend to. I would recommend to anyone. And I guess since you bring up the series, it is a TV series, and you've watched some of the TV. I series? watched the first season. I liked it a lot. I haven't managed to get back to it yet because of college. Because of college, that's tough. You should get into grad school because I read tons of books this year. <laughs> <laughs> I had oodles of time. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, so I read a lot of books this year. My personal favorite was I read 100 Years of Solitude by, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher his name, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Marquez. He's a Spanish. Could be Marquis. Marquis, yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the name, so I don't know. Yeah. He's a Spanish author, so the book is translated to English, I think. It's just a really interesting, really fun book. I think its style is called Magical Realism. So things happen that are preposterous or unbelievable, but the book treats them as like, yeah, that makes sense. Like a character goes out, kills like 50 deer, and then comes home with all of them on his back. And you're like, well, that's clearly not possible for a human. But the book and uh, the author said that he was inspired to write in this style because his grandmother would tell him stories of like growing up of her father and they always had stuff like that in it that she was like my father did this thing and as a kid he's like that makes sense as an adult he's like that's not how that happened but so it's communicated in a really interesting style and it's just a really fascinating book I think about how we how hard it is to kind of overcome generational issues that the issues that the fathers have in this story are the issues the sons have that they then pass down to their sons and that it shows that if we don't break these sorts of things it becomes a bigger and bigger problem until you're ended with a hundred years in solitude but it's a really interesting book. It is the inspiration from my understanding for the style of Encanto, the recent Disney film. It's significantly more mature than Encanto. There's violence and other things in it. But if you liked that sort of style and you're an adult who can read adult things, <laughs> I think it's a really interesting book. That's a really fascinating look at uh, kind of a different type of fiction. I really enjoy it. You think it's stupid? It probably is. I mean, you can't you can't carry fifty deer on, at a time on your back. How ridiculous! How ridiculous! How silly! I think the guy's supposed to. I think when they describe the guy, they're like he was like nine feet tall or something. It doesn't matter. Like that. Do you have any idea how big a deer is? Like a full grown deer? Let's tell you. So how, what? What outlandish fancy? All right. <laughs> You're like, my series was so realistic and had great yes. pains to be real. And now Nathan here with his fantasy nonsense. Yeah. Yep, it's ridiculous, Nathan. Um, I apologize. Let's move on. Where where are we at right now? We're almost at 50 minutes. Holy cow. Yeah, well, we've only got three more things to get through. Let's go! Well, here, to speed this up, we're gonna do our we're gonna do our top five favorite movies of the year. So briefly, you can go into Greater detail for your top two, but for the first three, brief thoughts. Do you want me to do all three at a time? Yes. All oh, three gosh. at once. <laughs> okay. Brief. Brief. Um, the Batman. I love Batman as a character. Even though I've fallen off the superhero train in a big way, I still do like Batman. Matt Reeves is a great director, and he directs the heck out of this movie. It is The cinematography is really good. I would argue Oscar-worthy cinematography. Yes. I really like Robert Pattinson as Batman. Music is fantastic. I love a good detective story, as I've said before, and this is very much that. Um, the finale, some people have problems with. I don't think it's terrible. Uh, it's not the best part of the movie. But, yeah, Paul Dano is really good as the Riddler, and I'm really excited to see where Matt Reeves goes with this. I think he's, uh, I think he's proven himself to be a very good choice for this uh, franchise. Why? 
just for the record, when I said quick, I meant succinct, not you just talk fast. Well, if I talk fast, it will be succinct. Okay, next one. Uh, next one. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This came out pretty early in the year, I think. Yeah, March. Um, it's, oh, I'm pretty sure most people will have heard of it. It's about Nick Cage playing Nick Cage, a fictionalized version of himself. He gets invited by this rich guy to basically hang out with him for a weekend because the guy is a Nicolas Cage super fan and he gets recruited by the CIA because they think that the rich man is a, a gangster or something. So they recruit him to spy on him. Uh, the premise is as ridiculous as it sounds, but it's really funny. Yeah, I don't want to spoil any of the jokes because there are ones that legitimately made me laugh out loud in the theater. I did see this in theaters by myself. It was very sad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really funny, and the premise, it just really delivers. So yeah. And then, Not Okay. This is a Hulu movie, a movie that was released exclusively on Hulu. It did not do very well with audiences. It did okay with critics. For my money, I really liked it. Uh, it's about a girl who fakes going on a trip to Paris to try to impress uh, a boy that she wants to woo. Um, and then she takes a picture, or she photoshops herself into a picture in front of the, oh gosh, the, the Arc de Triomphe, I think. Um, and she posts it, like, seconds before in real life, not in real life, but in the real movie life, there's a terrorist attack at that monument. And so she, instead of, instead of just saying what happened, she goes with the lie and she kind of becomes a media sensation for advocating for victims' rights and mm. for especially advocating for mental health because she writes this big, long uh, opinion piece for a the website that she works for that really blows up. And the the refrain of the piece is, I am not okay. And so she's like, you know, tweet hashtag not okay with your mental health problems that you're having. And a lot of people dislike it because they think the main character is a terrible person. She is. But I think that's the point. And I think that the movie does a very good job of showing her, she doesn't exactly get redeemed, but she realizes what's what's wrong with what she's doing. And I think that there's a, a sneakily salient critique in this movie of the kinds of things that this current generation uh, finds important. You know, social media likes, internet fame, that kind of thing. That it goes some way towards pointing out the vacuousness of modern life. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's very good. It's got some really good jokes. And I think that the main character, you know, I, I think that she is sympathetic. Like she's at her core, she's just a very lonely person. And so, yeah, I thought I did not, I did not hate her as much as a lot of other people did, which I think is why the movie performed so poorly. Which, you know, fair enough. If you don't connect with the main character, you're going to dislike that movie. Yeah. But for me, I I did connect with the character because I've pretended to be in a terrorist <laughs> attack before. You know, I know what it's like. Yeah, I have an actual It's, it's really hard to... Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Nice. All right, well, here's my three. Uh, first one is the Batman, just like you. I really like this. It's very long, and I don't think it is... I agree that the ending is maybe the weakest part of the movie, but yeah, Robert Pattinson's amazing. Paul Dano's amazing. 
I think this is the first Batman movie that's really pulling from the Dark Knight Returns sort of critique, the comic book, The Dark Knight Returns, and its critique of Batman. And this is, I think, the first Batman movie that's kind of operating with the knowledge of that critique and working with that critique. And since I find Dark Knight Returns really fascinating, I really enjoyed this movie. And I agree, all the technical elements are amazing. Greg Fraser is having an incredible run of films between this, Dune, and Rogue One. And yeah, Giacchino's score is really good. Uh, my next one is Lightyear. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a good sci-fi concept. And so I think the sci-fi concept that is driving Lightyear is really fascinating. And I think it also... I dislike movies where it poses a very tricky sort of, maybe not moral quandary, but just a tricky quandary, and then it gives the character an easy way out. And I think this movie does a really good job of posing an interesting quandary and then not giving Buzz Lightyear an easy way out. And so I found it really, in I found it really interesting. I agree the side characters are not the best in Pixar's history, but I didn't find them annoying as you did, Elliot. And I just thought it was really fun. It looks really incredible. I like the visual style of it. And yeah, I'm just, I'm a sucker for a good sci-fi concept. And so I really enjoyed the movie and I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie. I saw it in theaters and I did, I clapped at the end, you know, cause I just loved it that much. <laughs> blah, blah. Yep. And then my last one before I get to we get to our top two is Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, we talked about it already kind of a bit, but this is just really fantastic. The scene I'd like to highlight as in my for my money, the scene that really wraps up the idea of the movie is when So Calm has stopped being friends with Paul Trick. And so Patrick. Patrick. Padrick. Padrick. Gosh, dang it. And there's a scene where he's explaining why and he's like, I'm afraid of wasting my life. And he says something along the lines of, you know, Beethoven wasn't necessarily nice, but we all remember his music from whatever century he says. Some 14th century. century is what he says. He says the 14th century. And then Patrick's sister appears and she takes Patrick away. And before she leaves, she says to Calm, it was actually the 15th century or it was actually... Whatever the century, <laughs> whatever the right was. answer is, yes. And I think that's the crux of the entire movie: that both characters are in the wrong, have no legitimate basis for what they're doing, and they just refuse to change or forgive or say "I'm sorry." And the movie plays it out to a fairly depressing conclusion, and maybe inevitable conclusion. And so, I thought it was a really fantastic movie from a director who's had a string of really fantastic movies. So, Elliot, why don't you now do uh, your top two? And you don't have to talk so quick for these two. Well, my top two, uh, one is Tar, which we have already talked about. Yeah, I don't know 100% what else to say. <laughs> so, it's a I love a good character study, and I love a good fall from grace. This is both of those things. Kate Blanchett does a phenomenal job. There's just something about this movie that I really dig. Uh, it's shot really well. It's very clean, but very kind of mechanical, um, which I think is I think is definitely intentional because that's kind of who Tar is as a person. She's very 
She's incredibly skilled, but she has no, there's no warmth or humanity to her. Mm-hmm. Even when she's with her daughter, she's mostly concerned with like keeping her daughter out of her little area of space thing. But yeah, I just really like how it sort of peels back the layers of Tar as a person to reveal the kinds of things that drive her and the kinds of things that she just can't get over. Like she's, like I said, when we talked about it before Godzilla, I think she's a real woman of vices uh, and she just can't get over them. And I don't think she really learns anything by the end of the movie. She, she's... She's doing basically everything that she that she had been doing just on a smaller scale. Like it ends with her. She's this big, big deal conductor. It's very skilled. Uh, and at the end of the movie, she's conducting uh, an orchestra for like a monster hunter uh, con. Yeah. Conference, that is. Um, yeah. This is a very pretentious movie, but I love pretentious movies where I feel like I understand what's going on. There's a there's a bit in this movie that seems kind of confusing that I've given Nathan my theory on. <laughs> Nathan's not Nathan's not impressed uh, with my theory, but I think it makes sense. Well, I mean, it makes sense thematically. It does. It is kind of strange formally. She like she goes. She she tries to follow this female student of hers into where she lives, and it's this like really run down, abandoned building. And I won't. Something happens in there that's strange that I have a theory as to why it happens that I think makes total sense thematically. But formally, it doesn't make sense that she never asks her student, hey, why do you live in... (laughs) Why do you uh, live in the slums? Why do you live in a stealth section from The Last of Us? Yeah. But, and of... Did I already mention Kate Blanchett? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's worth another mention. She's fantastic. And the sound design is phenomenal. It's it's legitimately... It's it's great. Uh, The music... When she's conducting, it's so full and deep and, gosh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, am I doing my second one now? Well, I can do my one of my two, I guess. Because I saved my favorite for last. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to save my favorite for last because I cannot distinguish between these two. So both of them are just as good in my mind. Uh, but my first one that I'll do is Decision to Leave. It's a South Korean movie. I guess if you're really into movies, you've probably heard of it. If you're not that into movies, it's unlikely that you've heard of it or seen it. But it's about a cop who is sent to investigate a murder or a possible murder. A man falls down a mountain and dies, and he, the cop is sent to investigate it. I bet it was Rod. from. Uh, no, but there is kind of a funny scene of him falling down that is uh, reminiscent of Rod falling down in Hot Rod. <laughs> Anyway, I think of this as it's like Vertigo, which is to say the Alfred Hitchcock film Vertigo, which I don't like very much, but I think this is a good version of Vertigo. The technical elements are fantastic. There's a lot of really cool, just like with Vibra V, there's a lot of really cool camera tricks and editing things. There's one sequence in particular in the middle of the movie that I think is just genius. And it's really interesting. The more I've read reviews, uh, it's also a very pretentious movie. And so the more I've read reviews, the more I've been like, oh, oh, there's some, you know, weird symbolism and stuff in the movie. But it's really good, really enjoyable, really interesting. I think both the main character, the cop, and his 
kind of foil, the femme fatale sort of character, are both really interesting. And yeah, it's just really cool. It's by a director who's made some movies that I really don't like, as well as some movies that I do think are very interesting. And I think this is by far his best. And yeah, it's just really good. That's it. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that, but I am going to. So my favorite movie of this year is Banshees of Inisherin. Um, don't really have much to add to what I've already said about it or what Nathan's already said about it. So it's really good. Uh, <laughs> I love the relationship dynamics in this movie. Uh, there's not a bad performance in the bunch. It's a very, it's not, it's not a depressing movie, but it is a sad movie, I mm. think. It's just, it, and it's sad in its realism, not necessarily in the sense that I think that there's a lot of people out there who would be cutting off their fingers to get people to leave them alone. But it's realistic in the way that it depicts how struggles with mental health work, how the kinds of ruts that people get stuck into and the kinds of things that people will do to people who they genuinely care about when there's no communication or when they just don't have the skills to tell people how they feel. Uh, tell them when they're struggling or what they need from them. Uh, so it's very, it's very sad, but it's also very funny at times. The humor is pitch, pitch black, but I do love some good, I do love some good dark humor. And yeah, uh, te technical elements are all here. Martin McDonough, uh, I've seen two of his movies, Three Billboards and This. They're both fantastic. I'm going to keep on watching his movies and start watching his older ones. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I'd highly recommend it to you if that's your kind of thing. Because be warned that it is a sad movie. And it's more, it's it's not thrilling. You know, it's not an action movie. It's a, it's a somber, kind of slow-paced movie about relationships. The, the human drama. But if that's your thing, then absolutely go for it. Yeah. Obviously, I also really like Banshees, but it did not make my top two. So my other one, I just saw this last week, and it's getting horrible reviews. I don't think it's a movie oh for everyone. <laughs> it's, you know, critics put out the hit on Babylon. <laughs> the shill corporate media. Yeah. Uh, it's Babylon. Damien Chazelle's newest movie. I'm a huge fan of Damien Chazelle. I think all four of his, or three of his previous movies, his first movie's not very good. His last three movies are really fantastic, and I think this is another feather in his cap. I, simply put, it's the most fun I had in a movie theater this year. With a lot of movies coming out this year, Top Gun Maverick, Everything Everywhere, a lot of really fun movies that people were like, oh, the most fun I've had in a theater all year. Uh, a movie that opens with an elephant pooping on the camera was the most fun that I had all year. Elliot's role, Elliot did not go to it, so he's not allowed to have an opinion. Uh, the two people I went with both thought it was a little excessive and a little gross. I think all of the grossness and excess just more clearly communicates the idea of the movie that these people making the art that we consume in old Hollywood when the movie takes place are fundamentally broken people trying to find meaning in a thing that's never going to give them the meaning they look. And so they keep trying to go bigger to fill that hole in them. 
and they're not able to do it. It's a really fantastic movie. All of the performances are incredible. I think Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt are obvious standouts, but Diego Calva, who plays kind of the main character of the movie, is really incredible. And he really saves an ending that I think is a little indulgent. It's just really fun, really funny. It's so huge. I think there's definitely some issues with it. But pound for pound, this was the most enjoyable film I saw all year. I had a stupid smile on my face through pretty much the entire last hour and a half. It was just really fun. It was really cool. And I think upon revisiting it, I'll either like it even more or I'll be like, okay, this is a bit much. But after having seen it the once, it's one of my favorite movies I saw this year. That sounds stupid. <laughs> Elliot refused to go see it. So yeah. he, he does not I'm get glad I did. He does not get an opinion. Are you going to see it when it comes out on DVD? No, or I'm not. Really? No. You're never going to see it. I'm never going to see it. Wow. If I do, I'm, I am very confident that I would not like it. Yeah. Like, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I don't think I will be. Yeah. Would be. I will say, yeah, it's very much a movie. It's for people who like movies, who... I hate movies. <laughs> yeah. It's for a certain kind of person. It's not for everyone. I think if you are that kind of person, you will really enjoy it. But if you're not, it's really long. It's gross at times. At times it feels offensively gross, like it's trying to annoy you. Yeah, you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds annoying. It did not annoy me. I That's because it, Nathan I is a degenerate. <laughs> I thought it was funny. How the great lengths that he went to disgust people. All right, well, now we've we've got our last two things to talk about. So first, we're going to do our favorite show that we saw this year. And we've decided to do either your favorite season or your favorite um, full show. So, Elliot, what was your favorite? I didn't actually decide that. Nathan decided that because that's the only way he could fit in his pick. My favorite show uh, that I watched this year, I didn't watch all this year, but that I finished this year is Better Call Saul. I love Breaking Bad. I think it's one of the best shows of all time. There's nothing I can say about Breaking Bad that hasn't already been said. There's nothing I can say about Better Call Saul that hasn't already been said. Everything that you've heard about this show is true. It's basically one big character arc for Saul Goodman slash Jimmy McGill. And I think, I think it's pitch perfect. Bob Odenkirk does an incredible job in this. So does Rhea Seahorn. She plays his like partner in crime slash girlfriend slash wife slash all kinds of things. Uh, she does great as Kim Wexler. And Jonathan Banks, he has a big part in this show as Mike. And Mike was one of my favorite characters from Breaking Bad. And he's still one of my favorite characters in Better Call Saul. He's got a... He's such a good... Oh, man, I just, I really like him. There's so many layers to him because he's this brutal, ruthless killer, but also this very loving, caring family man with his granddaughter and his daughter-in-law. And you learn so much about his backstory that explains why he is the way he is. That's all fantastic. Uh, Vince Gilligan is an incredible writer. Uh, he always picks the best directors for his show. Shows uh, Giancarlo Esposito, I love him in I've loved him in pretty much everything I've ever seen him in, which isn't a whole lot, but still he he's a really good actor and Gus is I think the perfect character for him. 
Uh, it really plays to his strengths, the sort of dead-eyed, calm kind of uh, shark villain. Mm. And, and yeah, the the last season that came out, I think it came out this year. Yep. Um, it's just really, it's just fantastic the way it ties it all together. And the last episode, the last few moments of the last episode, it's it's incredible. It's it's a phenomenal show. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not it's better than Breaking Bad. Frankly, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it that much. I would say that they're both at least on an equal playing field. They're both trying to do different things. And they both do have, I think, distinctive tones and styles. Like, Better Call Saul is not nearly as... Breaking Bad could at times get very gritty and very kind of grimy. You know, mm. it was about the the dirty sort of work of making and selling drugs. There's not really anything like that in Better Call Saul, which is more about spiritual dirt. The spiritual dirt of working with these kinds of organizations uh, as a lawyer. Hmm. Interesting. I haven't watched it. I'm bad at watching TV, which is the reason why we had to limit it to this, is because I, I didn't watch a ton of TV this year. But I did watch... Fleabag, which is, I'm behind the curve. It was really big a couple of years ago when it came out. Uh, I think it got especially bigger when season two came out. Even I remember seeing stuff about season two when it came out. But my pick is Fleabag season one. I've got some issues with season two that we don't have time to go into here. But I think Fleabag season one is phenomenal. Phoebe Waller's-Bridge is incredible both at writing that she does a phenomenal job writing this series and she does a really incredible job as the main character. I think the fourth wall breaking in this show is genius. And there's especially a moment in the finale of this season that is one of the cleverest uses of fourth wall breaking I've ever seen in a movie or a show or any medium that uses fourth wall breaks. And it's just really fantastic. It's incredibly funny. Lots of really fantastic jokes. A bit of a bummer of a season this one is. The second season is also a bit of a bummer. But it's really good, and I think it's a really fantastic show. It's like eight episodes that are like 20 minutes a piece or 25 minutes a piece. So I blazed through it. I picked it up almost on a whim, and I watched the whole series in two days or so. So it's really good. Uh, there's a scene with her and another guy that I think is one of the most poignant and well-written scenes uh, in television. It was really good. Whatever. Sounds stupid. <laughs> okay. All right. So we finally we finally come to our last... I said this was going to be a bulky episode. Dang, it is. Um, and it is, but we've they come to our talk last Talk quickly thing. and succinctly. Yep, so I'm I'm gonna go Does it delay things if I keep on interrupting yes, you? Yes, it does. <laughs> so we're gonna go through our most anticipated movies for next year. So next year is shaping up. I, I think I say this every year, but it's shaping up to be a great year for film. Got a lot of uh old guard directors coming out with some new movies. We've got a lot of up and coming directors who are really exciting, who are making their next movies. So I think this should be a really fantastic year for film. Let's do this. Elliot, what are your three anticipated movies for next year? Uh, number one, Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. Yep. Uh, it's by, it's not a biopic. It's a movie about Oppenheimer. Biopic, I 
typically think is about a person's whole life. I'm pretty sure this is just about Oppenheimer's time with the bomb, with the mm. Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer is a very interesting historical figure to me. I've read a bit about him. I've seen interviews about him, with him, or I've heard about interviews with him, where he talks about his work and how he feels about it. Yeah, he's a very interesting member of the historical kind of canon, if you want to call it that. Obviously, Christopher Nolan is my favorite director, so I have every confidence in him. Uh, the last historical movie he made was Dunkirk, which was a very good World War II movie with a distinctly Nolan kind of twist. So I'm interested to see how Nolan brings his signature style to Oppenheimer. And yeah, I'm really excited for a Killian Murphy showcase. I think he's a great actor, but I've mostly seen him as a supporting character in stuff. I think the biggest role I've ever seen him in is probably in Inception. Yeah. But yeah, I think he's definitely got what it takes. So I'm really excited for that. Do you want me to do all of them, or do you want to... No, I can do mine. Mine is... My most anticipated for next year is Killers of the Flower Moon. I read the book sometime last year, I think, and it was one of the most mind-blowing books I think I've ever read. It was an incredible story, incredibly well-written. If you're wanting to read a really interesting book about a period of history that maybe doesn't get as much spotlight as it deserves... I would highly recommend Killers of the Flower Moon. And I think this is a, a layup of a movie. And Martin Scorsese, who's directing it, is not my favorite director. He's made quite a few movies that I think are fairly overrated. But I think in his old age, he started making some movies that are outside of his usual style. And they've been some of my favorites of his that Silence is my favorite movie from him, and it's very different from kind of his other movies. So I'm really excited for this. It should be like a neo-Western sort of style, and I love the neo-Western ideas and themes that come with neo-Westerns. So I'm really excited for it. The cast looks great. Uh, I think, oh shoot, what's his name? The creepy guy from Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is going to be playing who should be the main character, given the story, but DiCaprio is playing a character, so it's possible he won't be. But I'm really excited to see Jesse Plemons, especially in a role that's going to be a bit different from roles he's had in the past as, yeah, a creepy weirdo. So I'm incredibly excited for this. Hopefully it comes out. Hopefully it gets a wide release so I can see it on the big screen. Yeah, I'm excited for that one as well. I haven't read the book, but Nathan's told me about it, and yeah. I like Scorsese, I think, probably a significant amount more than Nathan. I don't know why you're looking around in indignantly as if you are jealous of that title. <laughs> yeah, he's a little overrated. Eh, let's not get into it. Uh, so my second one, oh, excuse me, is a movie um, that I know next to nothing about, don't know the plot, I only know one of the actors who's going to be in it, Michael Fassbender, who's a good actor, but it was not somebody I necessarily, it was not necessarily a huge draw for me, but The Killer is going to be directed by David Fincher, and Fincher is one of my favorite directors, so I'm there. Unfortunately, as I've said, I can't really say a whole lot about this movie. I imagine it's going to be fairly Finchery with a title like The Killer. <laughs> I think we can rely on this to be a very finchery fincher movie, which at his fincheriest is is not necessarily a good thing, but hopefully this will be 
just the right amount of Fincher-y. Um, this will be, you know, seven Gone Girl levels of Fincher. Yeah. Rather than Girl with the Dragon Tattoo levels of Fincher. And yeah, I'm really excited. David Fincher is a fantastic director. Yep, I'm also excited for that. Uh, my next one is kind of similar to that, is uh, Wes Anderson should have a movie coming out next year. I think it's called Asteroid City. I wonder me. But he's been filming it since he released his last movie. Uh, his last movie was my favorite movie of last year, of 2021, The French Dispatch. I thought it was a really fantastic film, as well as a really poignant thing about moving away from where you're from, which was obviously, I moved to Ames last year, so it was something that really struck me, uh, struck a chord with me. So I'm really excited for this. His last two live action movies, Grand Budapest Hotel, which we've done an episode on and you know how much I enjoy, and French Dispatch, which I've just said I enjoy so much, were two of his best movies he's ever made. So I'm incredibly excited to see what his next picture is. Hopefully it comes out next year. I'm going to be there. I'm really excited. I think he keeps developing his style in interesting ways while still retaining what makes his movies so interesting and fun. I don't know. Sounds kind of stupid. You're such a, you're such a jerk. <laughs> no, that's, you know, whatever. That's fine for you. That's you still fine for people like you. You still haven't even seen French Dispatch. It's true. Probably not going to. Because I'm not, I'm not all that big on uh, Wes Anderson. Well, all right. What's your last most anticipated movie? Last most anticipated movie of the year is Into the Spider-Verse. Or not Into the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse. As I've, I've mentioned on this program before, I absolutely adore uh, Into the Spider-Verse. It's one of my favorite animated movies. This one looks like it. Uh, a lot of people are coming back. Uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? The guy who plays Peter B. Parker. Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson, yeah. Uh, I love him in the first one. He's fantastic. He looks like he's back here. Obviously, uh, Miles and Spider-Gwen, or Spider-Woman, uh, are both back. Uh, Shameik Moore and Haley Steinfeld, I believe, respectively. Both uh, very good actors. And yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm expecting great things. Uh, isn't it? Is it still Lord and Miller? Um, I don't think they're directing it, but I don't think they directed the first one either. Well, one of them was on the directing team, and I think both of them were producers. Yeah, I think they're still producing, and it's supposed to be a part one of two sort of yeah. thing, I think. Yeah. It looks, from the trailer, uh, it looks like Spider-Man 2040-whatever. I almost said 2049, <laughs> but that's... 2099. 2099, I think you're right is going to be the villain. Uh, and a lot of spider people are going to be villains in this, which I think that's that's a really interesting uh, route to take. And Oscar Isaac is obviously a very good actor. Yeah, and he sounds really freaky in it. He does. The, uh, as Nathan has already talked, he's talked about it to me before, the last like shot of the trailer is him <laughs> absolutely going to town on uh, Miles, just slamming him into, into a roof. It looks very painful. Yeah. I'm also very excited for that. My last one that I'm most excited for, Elliot's going to belittle this one too, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, who made The Lobster, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. He also made The Favorite. It came out a couple of years ago and was fairly critically acclaimed. His next movie comes out next year, and I'm incredibly excited for it. I think, obviously, since I like The Lobster so much, I think his last two movies have been really phenomenal. I think he's done a 
great amount of, much like Wes Anderson, getting away from the worst parts of his style and getting to the most interesting parts of his style, which is to say getting away from bizarre sex things and getting into interesting social satire and social commentary. And bizarre sex things. No, not in the... (laughs) Whatever. His next movie, which is titled Poor Things, or at least I think the book it's based on is titled Poor Things. Uh, Emma Stone is coming back. William Defoe is in it. I want to say there's... Willem. Whatever. Willem Defoe is in it. I think I it's... I really hope it's Willem, because I've said it enough times now that if I'm wrong, it's going to be fairly embarrassing. <laughs> My understanding from the book is that it's sort of like a loose version of Frankenstein or something like that. And so Willem Defoe is playing like a Dr. Frankenstein sort of character, and Emma Stone is playing the creature or the thing that he creates. But I'm, yeah, I'm really excited for it. Again, his last two movies, I think, were really interesting growths and extensions of his usual style. So I'm really excited for this. And he's already lined up his next movie. So hopefully we get less of a gap because I think The Favorite came out in like 2017 or something. Yeah. It's been like five years. So hopefully we get his next movie sooner rather than later. After this one. Yeah, I do not particularly care for Mr. Lamphouse and his style. Yeah, I don't imagine I'm going to be able to convince you to go to this one in theaters. Yeah. Don't, you can imagine if you want. <laughs> Dream. Oh, Elliot's coming to <laughs> things with me. Elliot, he's, I see him. He's just watched Babylon and loved it. And now he's coming to poor things. And he's discarded the Big Lebowski. Yes. Beautiful. Yes, that would be a great pick. Never going to happen. Dang it. All right, well, thanks for sticking around if you listened to this whole episode. I said it was yeah, going to be... I don't think... I'm not going to listen to this whole episode, <laughs> although I rarely do. I usually skip through the parts where you talk and you just listen to myself talk. <laughs> Good deal. All right, well, um, do we want to mention our new executive producer? Uh, it's pretty unofficial, but a friend of mine named Marissa... She agreed to be the executive. She agreed to try to, quote, hype up, or no, spread the good word of Majones at the movies in exchange for an executive producer credit. So, yeah. Uh, if you know her, please don't try to talk to her about this because <laughs> she, I, it's, it's clearly a joke. She will not know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, she'll know what you're talking about, but she won't actually be able to uh, spread the good word of this program. Yeah, but again, we're des- we're yeah. desperate for any welcome aboard, Marissa. Yep. So <laughs> now we Jake. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say now we have four members. There's you and me. There's Jake. Yeah. On uh, the production team. On the production team, and we've got Marissa as our executive producer. Yep. So we're looking for more people. If anyone else wants to join the team, there's all kinds of credits I can make up for you if you want them. <laughs> uh, executive assistant. Executive um, assistant's assistant. Yeah, we'll just put executive in front of everything to make it sound cooler. Executive caterer. Yeah. Executive chauffeur. Yeah. If anyone brings us food, we'd love that. Anyway. And if anyone can, like, if anyone's willing to, like, bury me in between here and Ames so we can record in person, <laughs> actually, I would hate that. That would be really irritating, that trip. A dull trip. Yeah. Sure. But anyway... We hope you've had a good year. We yep. hope it's been full of good movies. And we hope if there's been bad movies, you've been able to laugh at them with with a, 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 a close friend. Close friend. Like Nathan and I are not.
But yeah, and we also hope that you've remembered that life is hard and full of disappointments. You should keep that with you as you go forward into the next year because it will hold true in the next year, I'm fairly confident. Wow. Yeah, thanks for listening. This is our last episode of the year. We'll be back next week with a regular uh, episode. Scheduled programming. Yep. If you did listen to this whole thing, seriously, congrats. Good job. This This is incredibly long. If I saw a podcast of this length, I would not. I mean, if I really, really liked it, but I don't think we have any super fans. And we're only hurting ourselves by continuing to drag it out. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you in the new year. Have a good one. Yep.